0: Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is Relational Vampires, Part 2, Needy People, recorded Sunday, October 8th, 2023. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Scott with today's message. Have you noticed that there are some folks in our lives who maybe their reservoir for need is deeper than ours is to fill? And I, I, you know, maybe every, every setting has people who, I'm not, I want to make this clear, I'm not talking about people who have special needs, people who are born with some form of issue that they're just going to live with until Jesus makes them perfect in the afterlife. I'm not talking about them, I'm not talking about um, people who have had injuries in their lives, like Spencer, who, you know, he's, for the rest of his life, he's going to rely somewhat on someone. However, if you hear his story, you'll be amazed how he lives his life. But anyway, I'm not talking about people who have needs. I'm talking like that. I'm talking about people who, like, you know, the Scripture talks about it, it. says where two or more gathered, there will be at least one over-the-top needy person. That's, that's not in the Scripture, by the way. But that is who I'm talking about, people who require just a little bit more, uh, who, who have some challenges, and we really don't know how we can f- fix them. Because there is a difference between rescue and help, there really is. We need to rescue sometimes, but sometimes rescuing isn't helping. Like you've heard the phrase, you know what I'm talking about, it's a nautical term, throw someone a lifeline. So, you know, the images, there's a, you're on a ship or a boat and the, the wild seas and someone's fallen in and, you know, there's this device you cast out to pull them out of the, the sea to save them. That's rescue, it's necessary. But you know what, if you pull them out of the water and think, oh, that was cool, I'm going to jump right back in, and they jump back in and they said, rescue me, and then they jump in again and rescue me. That's the kind of thing we're talking about. So uh, when is it time for a person to learn how to swim? There is a rescue between, or a difference between rescue and help. Usually, res- usually rescuing isn't helping. Usually, it's perpetuating, usually, when it's that chronic situation. So, when we look how to love and care for a person who rescuing is really not helping, I just want to throw you three ideas, okay? And this is a lifeline to you, I guess. Okay, here's the first idea strategy. Be strategic. Be strategic. Help them by giving them what they need, not necessarily what they want. Have you noticed that a person who is in frequent need is often in frequent crisis? Like there's always a new crisis du jour, you know? The rent is suddenly due and they're going to be evicted, but you only have like a day to figure it out again. They're suddenly in the situation where they've lost their fourth job in six months, and they can't afford their cell phone bill, and they're asking for help. They're, they're halfway between Florida and Montana, and they surprisingly ran out of money right in Grand Island, and they're beaten on the door of the church, which happens more often than you can imagine. Or maybe someone yet jumped into another relationship that their friend said, no, don't go there, and they went way too far, way too deep in the relationship, and now they're on your driveway again saying, I got nowhere to go. Again. Now, I know it sounds calloused, but with the chronically needy, crisis normally doesn't come suddenly. Most are patterns that a person simply hasn't, taken responsibility for. And so if you bail them out again, but they don't face the music of having to deal with it, then guess who's facing the music? It's you. And guess what? They'll probably be back. Okay? Now, let's face it. Sometimes people who are chronically needy are good at pushing our emotion buttons. Like, you know what I'm saying? Last week, we talked about controlling people And the tools that controlling people use are, do you remember what they are? Threat and guilt. We talked about that. The primary tools that chronically needy people use are guilt and inconvenience. So when you're asked to help someone like that who's just, you know, they can't get out of their own way, the tester can become the emotion of guilt. And maybe you have things, maybe you're a person of resources. And so you think, well, it's easy for me just to give them something and to, and to let that go. Or, but the problem is you don't usually let it go. Usually they'll be back. Maybe you're a parent that feels personally responsible for their situation, even though they're an adult now and they should be making better decisions. And But they're good at exploiting your emotions because you're their parent and you can't get off the hook. That's guilt. But sometimes it's just to get them off their, your back too. So it's easier just to hand them something and say, "Okay, I'm busy. There you go. The problem is that both guilt and inconvenience are short-term solutions. And and here's the thing, and maybe this is something just to to store in your memory bank for future situations. Usually, a person doesn't need a handout. Usually, they need a hand up. And there is a difference. There is a difference. Now, there's a, there's a lot of great examples of this in the Bible. I will tell you that if you want to learn how to help needy people, you just follow Jesus around. Jesus is the master, of course. He's God in the flesh. But his disciples learned some things from him too. And I want to read to you a situation from two of his disciples where they were encountered with a, a want, and they met the, the, the situation with a need. A need. Being met. Okay? So this is in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read it, make comments. So follow along if you will. One day, Peter and John, his two disciples, were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It was three in the afternoon. This would have been a a daily thing that they would do. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful where he was put, listen, every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. So here's a man who, who had legitimate physical needs. This wasn't his fault. He had needs. And so in their day, the, the, the social services program was take that person, a person like him, to the temple and let them beg all day and hopefully they get enough to, to survive. Okay, so they didn't have all the great community support ministries that churches throughout the the ages have created to help people. Okay, and by the way, it is the church that does that by and large. It's not government, it's not, it's, you know, it's not it's not anything but the church that usually comes up with these ideas to help people, right? There were no mid-Nebraska individual services back then. There was no country house to help people who couldn't care for themselves. There were, you know, none of that existed. Now, on top of that, when someone had a life-altering disease or injury, most of the culture thought it was their parents' fault. Like they thought they were being cursed by God. It was cultural stupidity. But they blamed the parents. They blamed the person. God is punishing you, okay? So can you imagine the stigma this guy lived in? He's, he has to be carried to the temple. He's laid there to beg, and everybody that goes by says, you deserve it. That was the viewpoint, pretty much, day after day, day after day. Now, I don't know what the motives would have been for those who helped him. There were probably people who just, they, they saw through that, and they, they just wanted to help. There were probably some of those who had strategic reasons, like they might have held resources you know, at the side and they were going to help people like this man. That's that's their strategy and that's okay. But what we know is that for his whole life, people had walked by and gave him what he wanted for that day. We know that. Let's read on. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. That's what he does. Peter looked straight at him. Please see this verse, verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John, and Peter said, look at us. And to me, that is powerful. Everyone else just walked by, them, won't look at him. Like, you ever drive, you know, you're leaving Walmart, South Walmart, and there's somebody at the sign out there, and like, the easiest thing to do is just go, don't look, you know? It's just the easiest thing to do. But, Peter and John said, we see you. We see you. That's important. So the man gave them his attention. He looked at them, expecting, of course, to get something from them. What was he expecting? Well, I think he was expecting some money, a handout. Anyone knows that if you have a need and you ask long enough, eventually you'll probably get something, right? That's the game that some people play if they're, chronically needy. And we learn this as children. If we ask our parents consistently enough over and over and over again, eventually they cave. And parents know that sometimes the easiest route is just to say, yeah, here, leave me alone. All right? Well, that's, they that, that can live out through life. Okay. I've encountered some challenging people in my life. You probably have too. And Sometimes it's just easier for me to give in, but I've learned often, I've learned that that it's not always the best thing to give somebody what they they want because it doesn't help them understand what they need, okay? It's a pattern. Here's what happens here in verse 6. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you, in the name of Jesus of of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So in that case, Peter and John gave him far more than what he wanted, and they gave him a hand up, not just a hand out. Now, I think that's one of the things that sometimes we don't often ask is how can I give a person a hand up? Instead, I'll just give them a handout. Now, that means being strategic. Maybe a good question to ask is this, is there, what, what can I do for one that I, could, that I wish I could do for many? What can I do for one person that I wish I could do for a lot of people? And, uh, and by the way, if 1,500 people who might hear this message today will, do, will, will pick out one person that you can help meet their needs, it'll change our communities big time. God, how can I give this person what they need using the resources at my disposal? And then you let God lead you. Not give them what they want. And, let, and to be clear they might need things that you don't want to give them. Like it might be time. It might be more encouragement. It might be a strategic no. No, I'm not going to hand you that again. Because that's hard. It's hard to say that. I could do it, but I'm not going to do it. Okay, let's see what happens. Verse 8. He jumped to his feet, this man that they gave a hand, hand up to, and he began to walk. Then he went with them, into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This is a miracle that I've seen happen countless times through the ministry of people like you where someone is, their life is wrecked and they all they have is that, you know? And then they encounter the worship of God and it changes them. And because they're changed, people say, oh my goodness, there are miracles that God reaches into our world and creates. Now, it would be easy for us to say, well, they gave him his feet back, sure. Why wouldn't everybody be praising God? But I think they gave him something far more important than his feedback. I think they gave him footing. That's what the worship means. Footing. They introduced him to God, the heart of God, the mercy of God, the love of God, the hope of God. They didn't give him money. They gave him mercy. So it is just strategic part of this, where Peter and John strategically met his needs. And that leads to my second encouragement to you when someone who is always in need wants you to continue to keep them in need. Here's that, serve wisely. Because if I'm not wise, I will wear myself out. If I'm not wise, I will become depleted myself. Now, like I said, Jesus is our best example for this. Now, would you agree, if you know anything about Jesus, would you agree that he was always serving people who had needs? That was like his whole ministry was that. But there were times when Jesus said, you know what, I am depleted. I've got to get away and fill my bucket. He was strategic about it. Jesus was. But he was also wise about it. And if your cup is empty, you've got nothing to give you know when you know you've got to get refilled in order for me to keep giving, I need to stop and be filled myself because we have needs it's okay to say that it's okay to acknowledge God, I have needs myself. I need what you have for me now I'm currently in this grand life stage called grandparenting. Anyone else got any grandparents out there? come on. You know how good it is, usually, right? So well, it's, it's great. It's always great, actually. But I love my nine-year-olds and under. That's what they all are. And they're very energetic. They require some help. Like, you know, that's where they are. I love being a grandparent because I can I can help them for a while, then I can return them to sender. It's a pretty good thing sometimes. Okay, now... I have learned to, you know, I'm observing my children who are tremendous parents, I will say, and, and, and sometimes they just need a minute, you know what I mean? Like, they just need a minute. So, like, we could be at a Thanksgiving gathering and our whole family's there and there's, you know, there's the five, nine and unders there doing their thing and, and it's pretty crazy and they're like, mommy, 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 mommy this, mommy that, mommy this, and then we all look around, where's mommy? Where'd mommy go? Mommy went to the bathroom. Mommy didn't have to go to the bathroom. Mommy just went to the bathroom because she needed a minute. So grandma, grandpa will say, hey, what do you need? What do you want? Mommy, mommy, mommy. And just in a moment, they're all over there on the, with the bathroom door scratching on the door. Mommy, mommy. Their fingers are coming underneath the door, you know. Poor mommy. <laughs> she just needed a minute. And you need a minute sometimes, you know, when you've got people in your life that are you know, they're demanding you just, sometimes you have to unplug. You, you got to get the reservoir filled. So you have a strategy, and the strategy is I'm not going to give you what you want. I'm going to try to help you find out what you need. And then you serve wisely, knowing that you're not God. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. And then here's the third thing, and this is kind of going into that trust completely. Trust completely. You follow God, you trust God. You let God be God, and we reminded you of this last week, I'm just going to keep saying it probably during the course of this series, that if you're trying to control every situation and if you're believing that you can fix everyone's needs, then you think you're God, and you're not God. And I think it's okay for us all to say this right now. I'm going to say it, and then let's say it together. I'm not God. Ready? I'm not God. Do You believe that? Because you aren't. <laughs> like, you're a nice person, but you're no God, okay? Like, we, we are here to worship Who? God. Okay, that means that he wants to do things in our lives that will help him lead people to God. (laughs) Okay, so that's okay. But sometimes we got to be strategic on how we give ourselves away we need to and not pull back from that. But that means we assess where we're helping and maybe where we're rescuing. Rescuing is not helping usually. Sometimes God might be, you know, like someone comes to you and they're just in a big set of turmoil and you're like, oh no, I, well, I want to rescue you. And, 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 and then you kind of think about it this way. You think, well, why is God not rescuing them? Well, maybe God's not rescuing them because we shouldn't rescue them. You know what I mean? Maybe the pragmatic side of me should ask, who put you in this spot? Was it God who made you quit another job? Was it God who forced you to have that illicit liaison? Was it God who made you take that stupid risk? Is it God that did all that gambling and got you into all that debt? There are so many times that we need to understand that when God is being silent, maybe we should shut up and let them figure it out. See, sometimes I have to love someone enough not to rescue them from their bad decisions. Why? Because if I keep rescuing them, they won't realize that they need God and they need to live their life like God calls them to live it. Okay, does that make sense? Now, on the flip side, maybe that's you. Like I just described you and you've been through a big cycle of wrecking your own life and consequently possibly impacting the lives of others by your bad decisions, okay? So here's the thing. You have to trust God in the rock bottom. And maybe it's time for you to stop going back to the sources of rescue and saying, God, now it's you and me. What do you want from me? I mean, you know what? Jesus says something really beautiful to you he says, I'm the source of life. He says "Like he says this, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. That's important for us to grab onto when it comes to our relation with God. Your husband, your wife, your life partner, they are not your perpetual source for rescue and life and health. I know you love them, but they're not that for you. Jesus is the living water. Jesus is the bread of life. Your husband loves bread. He's not the bread of life. All right? In order for God to meet my needs, I have to stop relying on others and trust God. You know, your job provides bread on the table. Your job and career will never be the bread of life for you. I hope you've recognized that by now. It obviously provides for your family. Okay, go to work. Let God bless you that way. But if you're looking for your job to fill your deepest needs and your employer and, you know, your customer, whatever, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Only Jesus can fill your deepest needs. Your parents have an important role in your life. They'll always be your parents. Their role, though, should be to raise you to find out who God is and who Jesus is and to find hope in Christ and worship Jesus, and he becomes your source of life. They can't meet every need in your life. At some point, every one of us needs to say to our parents, thank you, thank you for giving me what you thought I needed. I have hope in Christ. I'm going to push the eject button. I'll see you at Thanksgiving. You know, I mean, it's like at some point we got to release ourselves from them. Because that's what grown-ups do. Have you ever said to someone or had someone say to you, I want more? I mean, I'm not talking about your little kids now. I'm talking about people who by now should have figured out how to get more. You have had that happen? Yeah, of course you have. I want more from my kids, I want more from my parents, I want more from my employees, I want more f- more from my employer, I want more from my spouse. Well you want you might want more. But the, the question is, what do you really need? <laughs> what do you need? I was visiting with a friend of mine in Nashville who, he has accumulated a massive amount of wisdom over the, over the years. Uh, his wife has been sick for 15 years. She has been, uh, she's in a care, care facility and has not known him for years. He walks in, and again, she doesn't know who he is, okay? We're discussing this, and he said something like this to me. I didn't write it down. I should have, but it's kind of what I got out of it. He said, a long time ago, I figured out I can't be everything she needs me to be, and she isn't what I need her to be, or want her to be, I should say. I can't be everything what she wants me to be, and I, and I can't be what, and she, she can't be what I want her to be. I trust God. I trust God. That's amazing. Trust God. Believe that God has them. Believe that God has them in the hard circumstances. And, and, and believe that when I can help, I'll help. But know this, I'm not going to rescue you because, you know, God can rescue you. You know, there's this well-known story. You all know it. You can tell it in your own version. It's the story of the prodigal son. You know, you know what it is? It's, where it's a story told. It's a parable that Jesus told. And, and so he talks about how this, there was his father, he had two sons. One of his sons wants his inheritance early before he's dead, which is, that's kind of creepy anyway. But anyway, give me my inheritance. And then he runs off and you know what he does. He spends it all on wild living. He gets, becomes to the point where he has nothing and he, his only recourse is to, to go feed pigs. And they're not going to pay him with anything but perina pig chow. I mean, these, all he gets is what he eats from the pigs. That's a bad life. That's like that, would you say that might be rock bottom? Yeah, sty bottom, I don't know, it's bottom, right? So he kind of comes to his senses. He says, well, wait a minute now. At least my father, if I were his servant, I would have a place to sleep. I could earn enough to eat food. So he decides to go home. Remember that? Now, I want to remind you about something that doesn't get said, but it's really important here. The father when he came back, he, he rejoiced and he brought him back, and he restored him as a human being in his fold. But I want you to notice what the father did not do. He did not go find him and rescue him. He made it so that he had to come on the right terms. Maybe you're rescuing someone and you're not helping them You have a friend or someone in your household even, and they're always late to work. And so you're their alarm clock, and they're 35 years old. They haven't figured out how to run an alarm clock yet, so you become their alarm clock. And maybe you just need to stop being their alarm clock and let them learn. If I don't get up and go to work, I suffer the consequences. I don't know. Maybe you have a friend who's partying their brains out and they're failing at life and at marriage or at school if that's where they are in life, and you just keep giving them a parachute, well, maybe they need to, 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 uh, to lose opportunities to find out how to live life, and you can't teach them that lesson. It's not your job. A relative keeps up running debt. Yours. Yours. And you also know that they stayed up till 5 a.m. playing Fortnite and didn't get to work again or didn't go find a job. Well, when are you going to finally say, hey, no more handouts? Now, here's a hand up. Up the steps, out the door, you got to figure it out. I'm asking you to do something that might take strategy, time, and, and probably more effort than even just giving them a handout. It's to ask yourself, how can I show them what they need? And if I can't, I'm going to trust that God will. And then I'm going to pray my brains out. You know what I'm talking about? Now, listen people in need are not my project. They're not my project, they're someone I love. People in need are not God's project, they're somebody He loves. I like how Del read from the psalm and it says in verse 5, you, that's God, are my helper. Let's remember what we're rescued from. In the church, we come together in this time and place at the foot of the cross. One of the beautiful things about this, this place is we're all equal at the foot of the cross. So here's my question for you. Do you want loose change, or do you want life change? Lord, as we commune today, help us to see that, yes, you're a God who rescues, but you also make life change happen. Rescue we experience, life change we experience. They go together, and Lord, we We are trying to figure that out. There are people in our lives we love and we hurt for them because we're their parent. We're their spouse. They're our parents. It's a friend that I just love dearly. And I've tried and tried. And maybe I've tried too hard to give them what they want. Lord, help me to see what they need. But Lord, in this place, in this moment, what we get to celebrate is both rescue and life change. So as we commune, we remember Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. We exist as a church, you know, the, the body of Christ in this location, this place, for this purpose to, to help people have their deepest need met through Jesus. That's why we're here. That's our mission, it's our vision, it's, it's everything that we are. Uh, a saving, Relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. And, and that's what we're inviting you into. Uh, we have a lot of partners in our community that meet other needs too. Like, you know, we, we work with great partners in our community that, that give people a hand up, not just a handout, like Crossroads Mission and Central Nebraska Community Action Partnership and Hope Harbor, Willow Rising. Project Hunger, Celebrate Recovery. We've, there's others. Those are just the local ones. Just a few of our partners. When you are generous here, you know, 10% of all of our generosity goes to, as a church, support their generosity and what they're doing in ministry. And by the way, our church is full of people who have stories who have been impacted by our ministry partners as well as by this church. So it works, and it works well. This month, there are three ways that you can serve someone in need and provide hope, and you can be personally involved. Uh, we we'll are do something called Foster Care Closet on October 21st. And so we're gonna support our foster families in our region. They can come to shop and get outfits and shoes and book bags and winter coats. And it's just gonna support those beautiful families who are giving hope to kids. And you can be a part of that. Uh, Project Connect, this is October 26th. This is a one day event at the fairgrounds where people go for connection and a hand up. And we're partnering with a lot of people in our community, other churches and businesses in our community to make that possible. And then of course, something we do annually is to give Food baskets to people during the holidays. And so we do this through Thanksgiving basket giving. We start collecting names of individuals and families who receive a basket. It's a hand up. It's a way to bless a family to get them by until things get better for them and financially they can help others. Just a few ideas for you. But I want to go back to something I said earlier in the message and just challenge you as a person. Just think you know, you can't fix everybody, you can't fix anyone really. But is there someone who needs your special care? So be that person and be willing to invest in them so that you can not give them what they want, but you can show them who they need. You know, let God take you into that place and take him with you. Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 1015, or 11, 30 a.m. in Grand Island and at ten fifteen a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.